Please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2. It is great to be back. My wife and I got to visit several other churches in the area with our kids while uh, we were gone. That was, it was fun to get to worship with other believers in the community, but it also made me really love and appreciate our friends here and uh, just the spirit of our church and our worship team. And, uh, and we, had a, we really had a wonderful time. I, I, I've been asked several times, did you finish your paper? The answer is absolutely not. I didn't, but I did make progress, and uh, I'm, I'm highly motivated, so I'm, I'm still going on that. And it was, it was really a, a nice time, too, to be able to get up in the morning and uh, read the Word and not be thinking about uh, what I needed to preach about, but just interacting with the Lord. But I noticed this last week as um, I was back in the office, sabbatical was ending, starting to prepare next message, that I think I have like this pent-up preaching need thing. You know, I've got, I have twice as much material as I could possibly deliver, and so I'm going to try to be very disciplined and uh, let you out of here on time, but you know, this is what you get. I've been gone for a while, and I'm ready to go. Once upon a time, there was an old farmer, and he felt guilty for a lot of his life because he thought that he needed to be an evangelist, not a farmer, but he kept farming, and he loved farming, and then one day, as he was uh, finishing his day out in his fields, he lay down out in the field, and he laid down his field. He was just resting. He looked up into the clouds, and he saw in the clouds, the clouds formed the letters P-C. And immediately, he knew that God was telling him to preach Christ. So he went, and he sold his farm, and for the rest of his life, he went around as an evangelist, and he preached Christ. He, his life ended, and he was standing before the Lord, and he said, Lord, thank you for showing me a sign so I would know what your will was, what I should do with my life. And the Lord said, you know, that's wonderful, and I appreciate that you went out and you preached my name, but all that I wanted you to do was to plant corn. <laughs> We'd love to know the will of God, wouldn't we? Right? Every day we make decisions. And we'd like to be right in the center of the will of God and be wonderful if we could look up in the clouds every day and here's the prescription for the day. Here's what you should be doing today. It's written in the clouds, literally. Or if we could have a formula and if we just went through that particular checklist, you know, if we, we entered the right data for the day, then we'd know, you know, we get a readout and this is the will of God with absolute certainty. But it does not work that way. There's not a formula. There are principles that we live by, but there's not a formula. In fact, as I think about my own life, the, the analogy that comes to my mind, the, this visual picture for my life is this. Uh, I'm, like a, I'm like a marble in a funnel. And this is my discovery of the will of God. I'm, I'm having experiences and people that I interact with and ideas, and I'm trying to respond appropriately to the guidance God has given me. And, and it's not a straight path. I'm going like this. And I'm spinning around. And then, you know... I I seem to, in time, I I get closer and I'm discovering the will of God. And, you know, there it is. I'm right at the center of that spout and I drop through. This is the will of God for me. And what happens is I drop through right into another funnel. And then I start spinning again. You know, and that's, that's the process of life. So what I'd like for us to do this morning is I'd like to, for us to look at some principles that guide us along that process. I want to begin in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1. Solomon wrote, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, 
Incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you, understanding will watch over you. This is actually the second letter that a loving father sent to his son. And Proverbs chapter 2 is actually one long sentence. It's 22 verses, but it's all one sentence. Uh, You've got some periods stuck in there, but that's just English to make it readable. It's, it's, It's one long sentence, 22 verses, which is the same number as the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And the idea, I think, was this is a message of completion. This is what wisdom is. And the metaphor that Solomon uses for wisdom is walking. It's, it's, it's a journey with the Lord. So often I think that we think about uh, wisdom in terms of decision making. We think about events. I need to make this decision and then I'm going to make this decision. But throughout the Bible, wisdom is viewed as a journey. In other words, God is so much more concerned about the process of walking with him than he is about these isolated decisions along the way. Notice the metaphor comes out very clearly. Verse 7, it says, He stores up wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. And if you're walking in integrity, and you're walking with the Lord day by day by day by day, then wisdom has been stored up to you that God is going to give. But when you're not walking with the Lord, you're walking in foolishness, and then an, a, an event comes, an issue comes on which you need wisdom. You've got to make a decision, and you search for wisdom. Where is it? You can't find it because you're not on the path of wisdom. And so the analogy throughout is that wisdom is found on a journey, walking with the Lord. So the first thing that we look for, the first prerequisite for the way of wisdom is to obey what has already been revealed. Walk with the Lord on a daily basis. Look at verse 8. It says, He guards the paths of justice and He preserves the way of His godly ones. Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. God reveals Himself to those who are walking with Him. As soon as we make the commitment to obey what we already know, there are so many things that come clear. And Jesus laid out this same principle. John chapter 14, speaking with his disciples, he said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. God wants to reveal his will to us. But when we're walking in foolishness and an issue comes up and we have to make a decision and we can't find wisdom, it's because we haven't been walking on the pathway all along. The first prerequisite to wise decision-making, to godly living, is to obey what we already know, what's already been revealed to us. And what has been revealed to us? It's in the Word of God. You want to make wise decisions, 
you really only have one objective standard. There's only one thing that you know with absolute certainty, this is the will of God for me, and it's revealed right here. This is the only objective standard. It says in Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, it is a light unto my path. You see the imagery again? You're walking along with the Lord, and God is not trying to hide his will from us. God is not trying to hide his will from us. But God is most concerned not with that individual decision, but that we walk along the pathway with him, in fellowship with him, all along the way. And as we do that, he is continuously revealing wisdom from a variety of sources, first and foremost, through his word. So what do we know with absolute certainty from God's word is included in the will of God for us? I'm going to give you four things. I know there are a lot more, but I'm going to give you four of the primary things this morning. First, God's will for my life is to give undivided love to him. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 22. I want us to turn there. I want us to read it together so that we're reminded as we look on the pages that God has clearly revealed to us certain things that are his will, and he's written it down. Matthew chapter 22. Let's read in verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. I cannot know the wisdom of God, the mind of God on a particular matter when my mind and my heart are being pulled astray by all kinds of lesser loves. But when my life is centered upon love for God with all my heart, which is not just the emotions, it's, it's in Hebrew thought, it's the center of my decision making. It's my intentions, it's my will, and my emotions, it's all of those things. All my heart, all my soul, that's the whole being, all my mind, all that I'm thinking about, all my strength, physically, all, all, my entire being is centered upon, I'm focused upon, my energy is directed toward loving God. That's the first prerequisite. Jesus asked, what's the great commandment? He said, well, without hesitation, this is it. This is the great commandment, to love God. Undivided, undiluted, undistracted love for God. Second is like it, to give the same kind of love to other people. Look in verse 39, he says, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if in my love for God, there are things that are pulling me astray and lessening my love for God. It's going to be hard for me to, to discover wisdom in the mind of God. If there are, 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 there's conflict and unforgiveness and bitterness in my relationship with other people and an event comes up and I need to know, what's the mind of God? Should I take this job or that job? It's going to be hard to discover the will of God because these things, these fundamentals are not in place. Third, to radiate or reflect his personality as I'm loving him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then I'm loving others on his behalf and through his power, his personality, his attributes begin to be reflected out through my personality. Look in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Paul picks up this Hebrew imagery. 
Life is a journey. This is what God is concerned about. Walking along with you every step of the way. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil, because Satan is all around you trying to distract you from the way of wisdom, from the path of wisdom. So be careful how you walk. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What's the will of the Lord? Not to be controlled by wine, by something else. That is dissipation. It's, it's reckless living. But instead be filled by the Spirit or controlled by the Spirit with the result that you're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ, reflecting the fact that the Spirit is in control, so you're reflecting the very personality of the Spirit of God. This is, in a sense, the great hope of the gospel. Think back to Genesis chapter 1. Remember, this is maybe the the controlling verse of, of the whole Bible. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. You and I were created in the image of God. So God's spirit was completely united with our spirit. So everything that that Adam and Eve did as they were walking with God in the cool of the garden, they were reflecting the very nature of God. And then sin came in and their spirit was separated from God. That's spiritual death. It's a separation. And so what do they do? Well, they begin to pursue their own will and their own agenda. The gospel says, once again, your spirit can be united to God. And once again, God's image within you can be renewed because the debt of your sin will be taken away and God will take up residence inside of you and begin that process of making you more and more and more like Jesus Christ. One day when you see him face to face to be completely like Jesus Christ, that is the great hope of the gospel. And the wonderful news is it's a free gift. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, let me encourage you Right where you sit right now, say, God, thank you. Thank you that Jesus has paid the debt for my sin. And thank you that I can have hope in the guarantee that I will live forever. And thank you that now I can know your mind. You can know, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can know the will of God for you. It is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love others in exactly that same way. In the process, just to reflect his personality And then fourth, to reproduce all of these things in other people. Spiritual reproduction, spiritual multiplication. Paul says, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach other faithful men, who will be able to teach other faithful men and other faithful women, and it will go on through the generations, and you will leave a legacy of those who understand the will of God. Now, when we commit ourselves... And you know there are other things in the word of God that that, that are very clear about what his will are. But when we commit ourselves to the things that we know with absolute certainty from the will of God, from his word, then there are other issues, other matters that will come clear as we're walking along the pathway with him. But one thing I want you to notice as we list out all these things and you think about other things you know from the word of God that never listed up here is that God's will for your life is that you be happy. Yet. Yet. Okay, ultimately, all your circumstances are going to be put in order and you are going to be really, really, really happy. Okay, when you are in the kingdom of God and you are in heaven, you're in the presence of the Lord, 
All unpleasant circumstances will be wiped out and you'll never face them again. You will, you will be genuinely and perfectly happy. Right now, that's not a promise. That's not God's will for your life right now. Not yet. It will be, but not yet. And I don't want you to just disregard that and say, okay, I've heard that. God's will for my life is not happiness. I've got that. I, don't, don't disregard it because I want you to stop for a moment and, and think through it. Do you really believe that? Do you really, really believe that? When circumstances aren't happy, how do you react? When circumstances aren't happy, are you angry with God? Now, I've heard it said many times, you know, it's okay to be angry with God. It's natural. I'm not, I'm not sure that I agree with that. I, I agree it is natural. But when I'm angry at God, it's revealing something very fundamental about what I believe. It's revealing maybe that I don't believe God is sovereign. God, you're not in control. You missed one. Were you not paying attention? Were you sleeping when that happened to me? God's not sovereign, maybe. Or maybe God's not really good. He doesn't really want my best, and that's why he allowed that to happen. Or maybe I believe, bottom line is that God is wrong. God, your goal for my life is wrong. I don't want that stuff. I want happiness. And I'm angry because you're wrong, and I'm going to try to take control again of what's going on in my life. And that's why I'm angry. But if I'm angry at God at circumstances in my life, that reveals to me in some form or fashion, I have not embraced what God says his will is for my life right now, which includes at times suffering so that other people can see me suffer like Jesus suffered and be drawn to him for eternal happiness rather than just good circumstances right now. And God says, that's my will. And you're not going to know wisdom until you say, I agree. I don't always like it, but I won't reject it. And when I do that, then all kinds of other issues begin to come clear. The wisest words that you can ever say are, not my will be done, but your will be done. The moment that you relinquish your will for your life and say, I accept God's will for my life, then all kinds of things become clear. I want to illustrate this for you. Yesterday, I thought of this illustration um, from my own life. Okay, Uh, I don't. I don't like to ask directions when I'm driving. I I will ask directions once in a while, but I I confess I don't like to ask directions. Uh, You know, it's admission of defeat or whatever. And I, I I have actually I have this incredible sense of direction. Probably about 50% of the audience also shares that. Just since, you know, it's just innately, I can just tell. I can just figure it out. I'm just really good at that. So I don't, I don't want to ask directions. So a few years ago, I got one of these, okay? So that I would not have to ask directions. This is a, this is a GPS, okay? It's a little global positioning system. It's, it tells me which direction to go. I don't have to stop and ask directions. I just plug in you know, the address or the place or whatever, and then I, I just go, and, and there I am. I've arrived at the destination, See the, and I win. There's a little flag there at the end. <laughs> I win. Now, uh, since I have purchased one of these things, <laughs> my wife will um, concur on this, I don't necessarily always want to uh, submit to what 
the Garmin says. You know, I can, I can figure out a, a better way a lot of times. And so what happens is if you're driving along and you're following the directions and then you turn off of the route, it says recalculating, <laughs> which means, hey, fool, you think, you think, you know, a shortcut, but if you submit to what I'm telling you, you will arrive at the destination. You're, you think, you know, a shortcut, but I can get you there. Trust me follow the path, but I don't want to follow the path. Now, this is just an aside. It has nothing to do with the illustration, but my, my Garmin, it has multiple voices that you can choose. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but all of them are female. Well, have you noticed that? So my conclusion is that these were invented for wives Okay, so you don't have to be going, you know, and telling him, stop and ask directions. You, you don't have to say, you fool, you're not following the map. You don't have to do any of that because she has the authority of satellites telling him that he's a fool for not following directions. So that's why they only put a female voice on there. I don't know, maybe I could be wrong, but you know, I just noticed there's something about my personality that's revealed in how I respond to this. In life, it's exactly the same. I may think I know a shortcut that gets me to my destination, but God has said he knows and, and he, he's got a better perspective. As do the satellites that are up in the heavens and God is looking down and he's seeing all of humanity and all of history and directing all of these things to his intended will, he knows. And when I say, yes, Lord, I will turn to the right, then my next turn becomes a lot more obvious. And there are a lot of things that we we look in the word of God and we study and we try to apply diligently, but we don't see the word directly speaking to that. Where should I go to school? Obviously, a lot of wise people here chose Texas A&M. All right. What major should I choose? Where geographically should I try to live out what I know of the will of God? Who should I marry? There are all kinds of issues like that. And in my mind, what we do is we, we obey what we already know, and then as we're walking along with the Lord, there are all kinds of different sources of input that God gives. I look at it not as a list so much as a matrix. Okay? All of these things are just kind of working together, and they converge upon a decision. As I'm walking with the Lord and I'm listening to the Lord, and none of these on this list I'm going to show you are, are absolute certainty. They're just another source of input that God is feeding us along the way. So I want to give you a few of these that I look at. Okay, as I'm listening faithfully, as I'm walking faithfully with the one who wants to reveal himself to me, I listen to wise counsel. Now turn with me back to the book of Proverbs in chapter 11. Proverbs 11, verse 14. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Chapter 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools 
will suffer harm, which I think is a real, that's a great illustration of this principle. You're walking along the way. Are you choosing the path of walking with wise people who, who are also listening to the Lord and loving the Lord? If you're walking along with fools and God puts a barrier in front of you and you have to make a decision one way or the other, but you don't have wise counsel around you and you haven't been making wise decisions, it's going to be nearly impossible to discern the will of God with confidence. Good chapter 15, verse 22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Chapter 19, verse 20. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Uh, It goes on. I've got more. This is a, a very important and repeated theme throughout Proverbs that we need to be surrounded with wise counsel. We, we don't simply discern the will of God in isolation on our own. No, no one has received all wisdom from God because he wants us to be interconnected. So you may be very isolated right now in your Christian life. You can't make wise decisions. You can't walk wisely throughout the entire course of your life until you begin to surround yourself with people of wisdom. It's one of the things we pray for our kids right now. God, right now I pray that you would begin to prepare them to have wise friends around them and I pray that you would guard them from other children who are going to to walk the path of foolishness. God, protect them because they need a company of, of other young men and young women to walk through life with. We listen to wise counsel, but even wise counsel, godly friends, sometimes it may not be exactly the will of God for us, right? It's not foolproof. It's one source of input that God has provided for us. So we look at other things as well. Prayer, time, and patience. Prayer, uh, giving God time. Hey, on, uh, uh, Gary McCord is a good friend of mine. I remember years ago, I was making a big decision and I, I emailed Gary. I said, Gary, tell me about your process of making decisions. And he said one of the most important things for him is if it's a big decision, you give it time. And give it time. Look with me in uh, Psalms, book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 25 and verse 3. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. You are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day. And this uh, word for waiting in Hebrew, has the, it's the idea of, of clinging to. Okay, it's not passive sitting back. It is um, knocking on the Lord's door and knocking and knocking and waiting for a reply. And it's, it's very um, energetic. It's very interactive. It's not just sitting back. Waiting for the Lord. Look in chapter 130, Psalm 130. In verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness. And with him is abundant redemption. Wait for the Lord, like the watchman waiting for the night because he has a responsibility. He's going to have to call out. Now it's morning time and he wakes everybody up. More than waiting for the sun to come up, eagerly anticipating and waiting for the Lord's word to you. Revealing his will. And if you do that with patience, then God has an opportunity. He has time to begin to change your heart and to move your heart. 
Remember when Paul uh, was traveling in his journeys, he wanted to go uh, on to Troas. He, he, he got to Troas and he, there was an open door for ministry, but he said there was no uh, settledness in my spirit. And sometimes that's what God does as we're praying and we're waiting and we're receiving wisdom from others. God stirs up our heart, either for something or away from something. So one of the ways that God speaks to us, I remember uh, several years ago, uh, it was actually about one year before we were able to uh, adopt Anna Joy, we had an opportunity to adopt a little baby boy. And initially, Tristy and I both said, you know, no, we're, we don't want to do that right now. And then we began to pray. And as we prayed, I came home one day and I said, what are you thinking about? Just probably the same thing you're thinking about. I just, there was no settledness in our spirit. And we felt like the Lord was saying, move forward. And so we moved forward. And we talked to the birth mother and we talked to the birth father and they became comfortable with us. And uh, we got, began to get home studies lined up and lawyers lined up and all these kinds of things. We began to get lined up and uh, we were, felt like we were clearly listening to the voice of God and he was clearly leading us. And then right at the last minute, the birth father said, I changed my mind. And it dropped. We kind of looked at each other and we... <laughs> Okay, what, what just happened here? And it was interesting because so very clearly the Lord impressed upon both of our hearts that what God was doing was he was teaching us just to listen to his voice. He hadn't promised us that adoption. What he was trying to do was to teach us how to walk with him and to listen to him. And we really did. We, we grew, I felt like, in our relationship with the Lord and with one another in our listening to the Lord. A year later, we had an opportunity to adopt Anna Joy. And we went through that same process with a little bit of fear. Is it going to back out? But we felt again, oh, God's calling us to move forward in faith. Do we know what that destination is? No, we don't. But we do know he's saying, take that next step in faith. And so we did. And so when we're in the presence of wise people and when we're in the presence of the Lord, we're listening to his voice patiently, God can turn our hearts. We're giving him access to our hearts. Okay, but even this too, it's not infallible. It's difficult to read circumstances and what's going on around us or what's happening in our own hearts. So another place that we look is simply reason. Okay, reason. God speaks to us through our minds. Not just our minds, but he does speak through our minds. God's given you a mind to think through. It's a wise thing to do, to lay out what are the pros and what are the cons in light of the fact that I know the will of God for me is to love him and honor his name somewhere. What are the pros and cons? I'll give you one illustration of this from the word. Look at uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths, okay, for three weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. Now, this is in the context of evangelism and apologetics, but the point is, God uses reason to change our minds and our choices and our direction in life. But even reason is not infallible. It's a great word in Greek that talks about reasoning to the wrong conclusion. Okay? Our reason is not pure and unadulterated. Even it is affected by sin. So, this, Solomon said, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That is, don't completely trust it. Have a healthy skepticism, even of your own reasoning. That's where wise counsel and prayer and time and all these other factors come in. But don't ignore reason. A fourth factor, desires and abilities. Desires and abilities. Right now, I know that uh, the ladies have been studying Psalm 139 because my wife's been involved in the Bible study. And so we've been reading Psalm 139. She's been reading it to me and telling me the things that she's learning. And, And I love that Psalm because it's such a great reminder that you and I are each uniquely and specially made. And God made you with unique desires and abilities that no one else has exactly that same mix. And he did that completely intentionally. Because there are things that you're really going to be good at and you're really going to enjoy. And on the whole, that's the direction that your life should move. Now, there will be periods of time when you're having to just serve. You're just doing things because you need to do things. It's it's a fallen, broken world. And so 100% of your time at every job or in every neighborhood or in every house, you're not going to absolutely love everything. That's not cynicism. That's just, you know, we just live in a fallen world. But at the same time, when we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the psalmist tell us, tells us he will also give us the desires of our heart because he's moving and changing those desires toward his will and he's awakening those desires, those unique abilities. So we look for those things. They factor in as we make decisions within the will of God. A fifth thing, what are the needs of the world? And sometimes I have to even set aside my own desires as I look out and say, you know, what's more important right now is that There are people without the gospel of Christ and I'm going to need to make sacrifices so people can know Christ or so that I can serve them in this way. I look at the needs of the world and then I look at the circumstances and opportunities around me. God's uniquely made me. I'm not like anybody else and he's given me unique opportunities that other people won't have. I'm, I'm I'm in this family. I'm not in that family. I was born in this place and not in another place. I was raised here. Not, so I, I've got all this diff, these different webs of relationships and opportunities, and I look at those and they factor in. Are they foolproof? No. Remember, though, Paul used to pray, he said, God, give me an open door. God, cause circumstances to be such that I go, ah, oh, that's it. Okay, that's it. Use those circumstances to guide me. But remember, One time when Paul was in the prison in Philippi, we studied it last year, he's in prison in Philippi and an earthquake comes and the doors of the prison open up. If it were me and I had just been beaten, I would say, there is the will of God, run, be free, escape, right? But Paul saw those doors open up and he realized, no, the will of God is to stay put. And in staying put, he was able to share the gospel with the guard who was over the whole prison and the guard trusted Christ and his family trusted Christ. So sometimes circumstances are hard to read, aren't they? Sometimes it says PC in the sky, in the clouds. And how do you exactly interpret that? Is that plant corn or preach Christ? Well, I better be looking at all of these different things and I better be obeying already what I know, walking in wisdom, walking in the counsel of wise men and women, discerning the will of God. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a step of faith. Because there are very few decisions in life that you ever make with absolute certainty. Life just doesn't work that way. 
because God wants us to hold his hand and to walk with him down the path of wisdom. So I take that step of faith. And, you know, perhaps I made uh, the second best decision. Perhaps there was one door open for me and I ran through it. All others were closed. Perhaps there were five open for me and maybe I made the second best decision. You know, I don't have to look back in, in fear or regret or unknowing because I don't have confidence in my ability as a decision maker. I have confidence in the one I'm following. Okay, so our confidence rests not in ourselves. Man, I went through the right checklist. Brian gave us a checklist. He didn't say he was going to, but he did. And so I went through the whole checklist and I punched off all these things. So this must be the right decision. And then circumstances don't turn out right or what I think is right. Do I, do I regret? Do I look back and doubt? No, because I'm holding on to his hand and he's sovereign and he's good. And so whatever decision I make as I'm stepping out in faith and obedience, he can take it and he can bring beauty from it. He can make wonderful things happen in my life and through my life. And if I've already understood that his goal is not happiness for me, then I take this step of faith and the circumstances aren't perfect. They maybe even include suffering. I don't have to fear that I've stepped outside of the will of God. All I have to do is grab tight to his hand and take that next step. I trust in him. I trust in him. He, he is good. And he's longing to make his will known. He wants to make his will known much more than we want to know it. Much more than we want to know it. And we can trust him. And we trust him. He, he is, he's so good. And he loves us so much that he gave us his son. That's, that's proof right there. As I close, I want you to just take some time alone with the Lord and say, Lord, guide me. Are there things that I already know that maybe I'm, I'm pushing aside and I'm not obeying? Or, no, I, I feel like in genuinely sincerity for for Lord, I, I am walking with him faithfully. Maybe you've got a big decision coming up. Ask the Lord to begin to surround you with wisdom as you walk on that path. Let's take a few moments quietly before the Lord, and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, I thank you for the promise that you will continuously be guiding us into truth. Father, we, we confess that we really do long to know your will. But at times we are, are tempted to say, uh, not your will, but ours be done. And there are times that we really want to pursue our own will more than we want to know uh, your way or your path. I pray that you'd forgive us for that, cleanse us for that, from that, and show us the path of truth. Lord, I pray that this body of believers would be filled with your spirit of wisdom. I pray for each person here that you would surround each and every one of us with wise and godly counsel and with a heart that's receptive to listen to your voice. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word and in your son, Jesus Christ. We love him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Notice I was almost on time. That's pretty good. Have a great day.